0: The National Park System is home to some of the most beautiful land and wildlife you are ever going to see. And they belong to everyone. That's including you. I'm Brad.
1: And I'm Matt. And on our show, Parklandia, we're bringing you on the road with us as we explore the wonders of the Everglades.
0: The petrified forest.
1: Yellowstone. And many more. If you want a refreshing, relatable look at the outdoors, listen to Parklandia on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app,
0: or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. You don't have to be an expert camper to enjoy going outside.
1: Family Secrets is a production of iHeartRadio.
0: When we talk about secrets, often we use the word buried. We discover a buried secret. We bury our own secrets in places where we think they'll never rise to the surface again. We go to the grave with our secrets. But what about when a secret actually is buried? Sylvia Borstein was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1936. Just so you don't have to do the math, that makes her 82 years old. She's been married for 52 years to her husband, Seymour. They have four children and seven grandchildren. Sylvia is one of our country's most beloved teachers of mindfulness meditation. Many of you may have heard of her. And if you haven't, trust me, you should download one of her audiobooks. Do that right now. Just pause this podcast and download one of her books, you will thank me later. She's also a very dear friend of mine, which makes me a very lucky person. In truth, Sylvia is the entire reason this podcast exists. As I was grappling with my own humongous family secret, I was on the phone with Sylvia one afternoon. As tends to happen when we share a family secret, it prompts the listener to think of family secrets of her own. And so Sylvia began to tell me the story of a secret that had haunted her for much of her life. As I sat in my little office with the phone glued to my ear, listening to my friend's story, I thought, I wish I was recording this. Hence, this podcast. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is Family Secrets. Secrets that are kept from us. Secrets we keep from others and secrets we keep from ourselves. Sylvia was raised in Coney Island in an enclave of immigrant Jews. In her neighborhood, she was surrounded by relatives.
1: My parents met because they lived around the corner from each other. My grandparents were friends of each other. When my mother and father married, they moved in with uh, my father's parents because my father didn't yet have a job, and... I was born there a year later. A year after that, my grandfather died, and my grandmother, who was my principal caretaker as I was growing up, lived with us for the rest of her life. So I lived in a situation where I was the only child and the only grandchild of the three people who lived in my house with me, and much loved by all three of them. Um, We lived within the wider community of um, a large family of cousins and aunts and uncles. And my mother, who was a wonderful storyteller, told me all the background about all these people. So I, and I loved them. They were my favorite kind of stories, how Uncle Julius came to the United States and how this one did that and that one did this. So I felt growing up that I knew most of the things about my family.
0: But within all this closeness and happiness... Sylvia's mother was very sick.
1: My mother's health was frail. My mother had um, rheumatic heart disease, the consequence of having had rheumatic fever as a child. And uh, I was always alarmed because I really didn't understand that the consequences of what that meant for her. And I worried always because she was out of breath. She couldn't walk as fast as other people's mothers. She couldn't swim or play tennis. Uh, and I think I I, I know that I was always frightened that she would die. We didn't talk about sickness in my house, because I think in the end, maybe it was a good decision. My mother had this uh, defective mitral valve that limited what she could do, but she was a cheerful person, so she wasn't totally undone by the illness, and she didn't mention it. We just knew about it.
0: But then Sylvia learned that there was a story she didn't know, a painful story that wasn't part of the great and often joyous oral tradition of her
1: family. Somewhere in my adolescence, but I think before I went to college, my mother mentioned in a conversation, maybe it was an overheard conversation, that she had a sister who was younger than she was, but not as younger as my Aunt Miriam. And that that sister had died.
0: So let's talk about what you remember about that conversation or whether it was something that you overheard. I think one of the really interesting things about those moments where one is discovering something or hearing something that is of incredible importance... That may be coming out in a kind of casual way or overheard or just slipped into conversation. And yet it lodges somewhere in the psyche.
1: And it was some offhand manner. I don't remember if she said it to me or to somebody else. There was no photograph. I saw pictures of my mother as a child and her cousins as as children. I think now that you're asking me and I'm thinking about it, The best I remember is I thought, I remember thinking maybe I heard wrong. And I've asked myself, since I've known your story and since I've learned stories of secrets from some of my friends, why is it that I wouldn't say the obvious, hey, you had another sister?
0: Sylvia had one aunt, her mother's younger sister Miriam, and her father was an only child. So these adults comprise her entire immediate family. But now it seemed her grandparents had had three daughters, not two. But Sylvia tucks this information away to the point that she barely remembers it. It's a vestige, a mirage, not something tangible. She doesn't exactly forget all about it. It's more like she puts it off to the side. Way off to the side. Sylvia grows up, attends Barnard College at the age of 16, meets her future husband Seymour, a doctor. She's married by the time she's 20, and eventually, she and Seymour settle in Northern California. Sylvia has all her children by the time she's 25, a span of years during which her mother dies, finally succumbing to her weak heart. During this time, it's almost like Sylvia is trying to cram it all in, get as much as she possibly can out of this life, since she's grown up with the powerful internalized message that life may be short, perhaps very short. There is
1: always the possibility of loss. What happened is that after she died, years went by, during which time I became closer to her than I had been to her younger sister, Miriam. Uh, I think Miriam missed my mother very much, and I did too. And at that time I was married, I had my own family, was living in California, and I I developed the habit of calling my aunt every Saturday afternoon and we would talk on the phone about everything. So we were really close. And at one point, oh, I know what happened. My grandfather came to spend time with me and live with me in California. He was 95 years old and in very good health and um, sound memory. And we became very close, sharing old stories. And one day, just having a walk together, I said, By the way, I once heard that you actually had three daughters and that there was somebody born after Gladys and before Miriam. And I remember him looking at me and kind of squinting over at me, say, I could, I could almost imitate his tone of voice. He would say, What's the matter with you? One word, What's the matter with you? Where did you hear that story? That's not true. That never happened. That wasn't true. No, no, no. Hmm. Where did you hear that? Hmm. So it was the end of that. I let it go. Sometime later, after I developed this relationship with my, with my aunt, on one of our Saturday phone calls, I said, by the way, Miriam, uh, I heard, and I told the whole story, and I said, I asked Grandpa, who had then by then died, I said, I asked Grandpa about it. And he said, no. She said, no, 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 there was never any other child. No, never any other child. I said, okay. Time went by.
0: How did you feel during the time that was going by? Did you accept that? Was it, was it a sense of maybe I was wrong, maybe I misheard? Did you doubt yourself? Well, it was really, it was like
1: maybe I had a dream. Maybe I had a dream. Oh, yeah. And you know, Danny, one of the things about me is I don't like to be wrong. So if, I've, if, I've, if I had developed something which was, so to speak, quote-unquote stupid, I wouldn't have admitted it to people. I've had this idea, and I'm sure of it. Probably my grandfather had said it's not true. I'd never seen any artifact of that. Time went by. My grandfather had died. I was in New York. and my, Of course, my mother had died long before. I was in New York, probably somewhere in my late 50s, early 60s. And uh, my husband, Seymour was with me. I think I was teaching. And I had a day free. And I said, you know, I'd like to go out to the cemetery. I'd like to go to the cemetery where my mother was buried. And so he said, okay. And we went out. To then anybody who knows cemeteries in Queens knows that there's endless, endless acreage of cemeteries in Queens. Uh, but I had the name of the cemetery. And... Uh, What was the cemetery called? Do you remember? Mount Hebron. Mount Hebron. So it was a Jewish cemetery? Oh, it was absolutely a Jewish cemetery.
0: Which brings me back to Buried Secrets. I know these cemeteries on the outskirts of New York City. My dad's family plot, the Shapiro family plot, is in one of them. They aren't pastoral final resting places, you know, with pretty benches and shady trees. They tend to be massive, crumbling places, tombstones crammed up against one another like crooked teeth in the mouth of the world.
1: And I knew that my mother was buried in a burial area that was um, bought by the first men's Atenea Society of my grandfather's Austrian town. What people did is they came as immigrants, and among other things, they pooled their money and they bought acreage, well, acreage, they bought a plot in a Jewish cemetery and you paid your cemetery dues to pay for the plot, and then whenever you died, twenty or thirty or forty years later, your place in that plot. So that so it's like the 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 village from the old country was right.
0: transported to this cemetery <laughs> plot where you would all be together again.
1: No kidding. And there's a there's a anyway a shalom alechem story. An immigrant comes to visit a friend of his who's in the hospital and gravely ill. Apparently. And the conversation in Yiddish is um, about how you're doing and whether you're not, or not you might die. And uh, he, the visitor tells the patient in the hospital, uh, you know who died last week, so-and-so, and tells him, and uh, this person's response is not, I'm sorry that so-and-so died, but oh dear, if I die now, I'm going to have to lie next to so-and-so forever. Uh, so... All the jokes that they made about that. But that's what you did. My mother is not, so to speak, lying next to my grandparents. She is in the order that she died. As part of the village. As part of the village. right? You're the, right. It's not even my mother's village. It's, uh, it's my uh, father's parents' village.
0: An irresistible side note here. My dad died in a car crash when I was 23. And my mom died almost two decades later. When my mother was dying, she informed me that she was not going to be buried in my father's family plot in Brooklyn. Instead, she planned to be buried in southern Jersey, I mean way down the Jersey Turnpike, which, if you don't know it, is one of the least fun roads in the country, with her family, and away from all of those people who she had fought with her whole married life. I feel sorry for you, she said, though I knew she didn't. You'll have to visit your parents in two different cemeteries. Anywho, Shalom Aleichem, Irene Shapiro, generations come and go, and not much changes. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is Family Secrets. We're currently on break, working on Season 2. And as I review all the stories that have poured forth since this podcast came out, I can't begin to tell you how grateful I am to hear so many stories of bravery and resilience in the face of secrets. It's an important reminder that community is so powerful. To that end, we invite you to tell your secret, your story. You can call 1-888-SECRET-0, that's zero as in the number, and record your story. We won't be able to run all of the stories on the podcast, but we do want to shine a light on as many as we can. The number, again, is one eight 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 secret 0 You can find out more at FamilySecretsPodcast.com. And you can listen and subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's a miserable day, cold and wet, when Sylvia and Seymour make the schlep from Manhattan to the cemetery in Queens.
1: So we went, and we found those two tombstones, and I looked at them and, you know, I put a requisite rock on the top of each one, which signifies all kinds of things, but to people going by, it means someone was there and someone visited, and then we walked back to the entrance And there's a little hut or a house or a very small office at the bottom of that, where you can go in and ask where it is so and so buried, and they give you the plot map. And when we went in there, I said, you know, I said to see more on the way back. You know, uh, this was my father's father's plot. My mother's family also had a plot in this cemetery. Um and my grandmother's Reja, and must be buried there. Uh, let's find out where. So we go into the cemetery. I'm, I'm all of a sudden realizing that as I'm telling you the story, I'm a little choking up about it. So we take a breath and out, I'm getting a little bit teary about it. We go into this office, and um, uh, I said my grandfather's last name, and, and then, just suddenly, on kind of a whim, I said, you know, I'm also interested in a child that might be buried in that same community's burial place. And I I know that she was a child um, about five years old and that she died in uh, about 1921.
0: Remember, this is the
1: mid-1990s.
0: The small cemetery office is not equipped with Wi-Fi or internet. In fact, they're in the midst of transferring all their files from a Rolodex, a Rolodex, to a computer. So finding a child with Sylvia's grandfather's surname, Fuchs, is slow going, if not impossible.
1: He looked, and looking through names, says, we have a lot of Fuchs's here. What was her first name? Uh, What was
0: the first name? And of course, Sylvia doesn't know the child's first name because the child was a secret.
1: And I said, I don't know, but I think maybe it was Sylvia. He looks. He said, Yeah, this is Sylvia Fuchs that died in 1920, 1921, maybe. And I said, Well, I'll go back, show me on the map where to look Didn't know what to say really he said well you won't be able to find it because um, children were buried not in a regular plot they were buried at the corner of the plot that their community owned and they were just buried next to each other when they're young children they're buried next to each other and they didn't have granite headstones they had limestone headstones The the children did. Yeah, they just were all grouped in the corner. There's a children's area for young children and newborns. And there are just limestone markers, mounds, but the name. And it's been so many years. In the rains, the the limestone washes off. You'll never find it. So we walk out of that place and Seymour says, let's go back. Meantime, it's the end of a long day, and it's a long walk up there, and I'm kind of blown away by the whole thing. And it's becoming overcast, and it looks like it's going to rain. And I said, well, he says we won't find it. He said, let's go.
0: We're going to take a quick break.
1: This is The Outcast, a weekly podcast about what it means to be queer today by Out Magazine and its staffers. I'm your host, Fran Torado, the deputy editor at Out Magazine. This label gets thrown on her.
0: She doesn't necessarily
1: identify herself that way. Everything you see on Drag Race, you saw in is Burning. I just want to be like Miss Major's feet and soaking up her brilliance. Listen and subscribe to The Outcast on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Sylvia is overcome with a desire to flee the cemetery. She's suddenly exhausted. It has been a very long day. But Seymour, and this totally gets to me, Seymour pushes her. He knows it's probably the only time she'll ever be able to get to the bottom of this question she's always had. So he insists.
1: So we walk back up, we find that plot. Then we see in the corners, there are these like clumps of limestone markers, all very washed off, so you really can't read the names. And by this time, I'm really feeling undone in the weather. And I just, I said, let's go. I can't do this anymore. And Simo said, No, know we're keeping looking, we're keeping looking. This is making me cry as well. And all of a sudden he said, here it is. And uh, it isn't limestone. It's a dark gray, beautiful granite stone. And it says Sylvia Fuchs, daughter of official Fuchs. It's my grandfather's child. So when we came home from that trip, I called my Aunt Miriam. You know, as I'm telling you the story, it's not easy. I have all goose pimples all over me. I called my Aunt Miriam, and we talked about one thing or another. And I said, Miriam, I was in New York. I said, yeah, I know. I said, Miriam, while I was in New York, I went to the cemetery. And uh, I uh, went to look at graves, uh, my mother's grave, and then I went over. To where your mother is buried, where Reza is buried, and uh, I found the gravestone for Sylvia Fuchs, and and she didn't say anything. So I said I, I was I was really upset, Miriam. I, said, I was really upset because I I thought I had such a close relationship with with Grandpa Fischel. I, I you know we were so close, and he lied to me, and she said. And no, he didn't lie. I said, Miriam, what do you mean you didn't lie? I found the tombstone. She said, he forgot. I said, Miriam, you don't forget it if you have a six-year-old child who dies. She said, if it's too horrible for you, you forget it. And, you know, I thought it'd be easier to tell this story. But it's not.
0: It's a very loving thing that Seymour did.
1: It was. It was. I think about it now. I think about it in that moment. You know, I thought really, it was he who said, "No, no, we're here. Let's go. No, no, let's not finish looking. We'll look." And after we discovered it, I remember, you know, I was visibly upset and crying. I think, but I remember he was saying to me, "Tell me what's so upsetting." And I said, um, "They lied to me. All those people." The end of the phone call with Aunt Miriam, is he forgot. I said, so Miriam, tell me, did you forget? Do you, did you remember her at all? Uh, because Miriam was between two and three when her sister Sylvia died. She said, you know, I only have one memory. I remember I was um, sitting on the floor in the sun porch... Of the apartment where I lived with my parents I was sitting on the floor and watching the light on patterns of sunshine on the wooden floor of that sun porch. And my mother was sitting in a rocking chair behind me. And all of a sudden, I heard my mother crying and I became upset because she was crying, and my mother picked me up right away, and she said, Weinness, weinness, mein Kind, don't cry, my child. And Miriam said, I never saw her cry again. And, you know, as I'm telling you that story, I'm thinking how painful it is to not be able to talk about it ever, not be able to cry to your children or cry to anybody I'm I'm sure it never goes away if you have a child who's six years old and dies.
0: One thing I find myself wondering. Sylvia is a person who has spent much of her adult life coming to know the inner workings of her own mind. She's gone on silent meditation retreats for months, months at a time. She's taught mindfulness all over the world. I remember when I was first getting to know her work, I read a few sentences from one of her books aloud to my husband. Why is this so good, I asked him. He answered, because it's the product of an unconfused mind. How was it that the original conversation or overheard moment way back when with her mother never drifted into Sylvia's unconfused mind in all those periods of silence and contemplation? I mean, one of the things that's interesting to me is there was that overheard conversation, or she, told or, she t- or she straight out told you, and I don't know. And you put it somewhere. I think this is what we do. Yeah. Um, I'm understanding that more mm-hmm. and more as I'm in my own process of discovering what I knew, what I didn't know. You know about my own family secrets. Um, but where do we put? You know, mm-hmm. you you have lived a very examined life, more than most. Uh, you're, you're a Buddhist, you're a teacher, you're a writer, you're a storyteller, uh, you're a psychologist for God's mm-hmm. sake. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was this this piece of knowledge that just kind of wedged itself somewhere while you were busy becoming a psychologist and getting a doctorate and going to school and having four children and raising a family and living a life and going on you know, month-long meditation retreats, and it never emerged again.
1: I've thought several times, and often, I think, in my life, that there's been something very dependable about my psyche, depending on what situation I would be in, uh, I would say about my psyche or about my heart, but where my psyche or my heart did not let me know things at a time that I couldn't have handled them well. And later on, I thought to myself, that was so really thoughtful of my mind and my heart to tell me, well, you don't have to take care of this now. We'll be back when you can handle it. I don't know that you ever finished, Danny. When I told you that story before, I was surprised to find that it still gives me goose pet flush, mm-hmm. and I still feel like crying about it. So here's a
0: question for you. In that moment in the in the cemetery office, when you were asked the question, what was her first name? Mm-hmm. And out of your mouth came, maybe it was Sylvia. Mm-hmm. Where did
1: that come from? You know, I don't know. You were named for her. I didn't know. That's what I figured. But, you know, um, that's why I offered the name. Had you ever had
0: that thought before, before that moment that it came out of your mouth?
1: I think I must have known, really, on some level. And I think I'm on the spot there. I don't remember thinking beforehand that she would be Sylvia. But faced with what do you think her name was, coming from Jews who named for people who died, I figured I must be Sylvia, and she must be Sylvia. Sylvia.
0: I mean, this is, on the one hand, it's a doozy of a secret. Mm-hmm. It's also very far back in the reaches of history in terms of a life, you know, 1921. Um, and yet, there's some way in which it seems like it has hovered mm-hmm. over the course of mm-hmm. of your life without knowing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when you first told me the story, what I was so struck by was... That moment where you said, where you just decided today I'm going to go to the cemetery. Mm. We're going to go. We're going to take buses and trains. We're going to get there mm. in the rain. We're going to have this kind of day. <laughs> How did you reconcile? I think a lot of people who discover a secret well are, are at the same time realizing that they were lied to. Mm.
1: Um, there's a betrayal there in some way. Just Did exactly the word I just was thinking. Betrayal. About. That in the moment of finding out, Seymour uh, was really asking me about what, particularly, was so upsetting to me, and I said, "Everybody lied," mm-hmm. uh, and I asked, and they lied. So it was it was stricken from the record. I th- I think my sense from Miriam, from friends of mine who have had similar stories, is that they were so unable to even. Uh, They were so frightened of even feeling the intensity of their distress. You know what else I've seen, Danny, as a meditation guide and confidant for so many people? People have come on retreat, and uh, when I've seen them in individual meetings during a retreat, retreats are always silent so they don't get to talk to each other. And since they're uh, asked not to read or to write or to talk during the retreats, they have nothing but their own minds to pay attention to. And it's universally true that when people uh, stop stimuli from coming in and spend a lot of the time sitting or walking back and forth, uh, trying to just be present in this moment, that their heart or mind or psyche or whatever tells them what they haven't heard before, for me certainly, it presents a moral inventory, you know, you left this really undone and you hurt so-and-so's feelings and you never, such a, really, I'm happy for that because uh, I feel like after the initial, oh dear, my mind feels slightly unburdened because I had been keeping the secret from myself and I fix it.
0: My friend Donna Massini, a poet, wrote a beautiful poem years ago called Eye of the Skull that I've never forgotten. In it, the poem's narrator, a woman, has just visited the dentist. She's had cavities filled with Novocaine, obviously. And as she walks down the street afterwards, she wonders, where does the pain go? She had been numbed, but did that mean she hadn't on some level felt the pain? So that the the numbing or the the impossibility or the seeming impossibility of being able to handle something mm. that
1: uh, that painful doesn't mean that it disappears. Mm. You think of something that startles or hurts you, the mind like goes, ah, I don't think that. And that's really what I'm teaching people these days. That's the whole gist of what I'm teaching. It's not to. Be able to so calm your mind that you rise above your stuff or that you actually see that it's ephemeral and it's empty and therefore really isn't significant. It's none of those things to be able to recognize this is what's happening. This is the feeling that's arising in me. This is either it's it's frightening or it's startling or it's this thing or it's that thing. And I see that that's happening and I can stay here. I can stay here and I can know it. And it will pan. I can feel it.
0: I love that. You, you don't have to get out of the way. You, you know, can I be care. here.
1: Yeah. I thought that as a. I remember years ago, I was saying to a psychotherapy patient of mine, the same as I would say to a meditation student, "Don't duck. Don't duck. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you can do this. Don't duck."
0: I'd like to thank my guest, Sylvia Boerstein, for sharing her words of wisdom with us today. You can find out more about Sylvia and her teachings at sylviaborstein.com. Family Secrets is an iHeartMedia production. Dylan Fagan is the supervising producer. Andrew Howard and Tristan McNeil are the audio engineers. And Julie Douglas is the executive producer. If you have a family secret you'd like to share, you can get in touch with us at listenermail.com. At Family You can also find us on Instagram at Danny Ryder, Facebook at Family Secrets Pod, and Twitter at FamSecretsPod Pod. That's Fam Secrets Pod. For more about my book, Inheritance, visit DannyShapiro.com. My last question is, do you wish that you hadn't known? Do you wish that you would never have found out? Oh, no. (laughs) I knew knew you were going to say that, but I didn't want to answer it for you. Um,
1: Oh, no, 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 no. I like knowing. I like knowing. In the Montgomery County, Maryland courthouse, there are thousands of pages of documents detailing the horrific murders of three innocent people. As soon as I heard the details, I knew my dad was involved right away. Instantly. I said, it's Lawrence. But at the time of the murders, Lawrence Horn was clear across the country. I'm Jasmine Morris from iHeartRadio and Hit Home Media. This is Hitman. Listen and subscribe at Apple Podcasts on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts.